So I botched it in a conversation I had with a self-proclaimed Christian Buddhist friend of mine when we met for coffee a few months ago. I relive that conversation, the things that I said and the things I didn't say over and over again in my head. This morning, I want to talk to you about one of the most meaningful failures that I had in that conversation and why, statistically speaking, you will or have already had a conversation very similar. So this morning, we are continuing our summer series, Red Letter Living. Now, if you are a visitor at the Vero Beach Church of Christ, first, welcome. <laughs> you are our, our most welcome guest, and we have a gift for you out in the foyer if you'd like to grab a journaling Bible and more information about us. And to know just a little bit more about us, I mean, we make it very clear on our website, which my clicker is not working for, so hit me over. Um, we make it very clear on our website that we love God, love people, and make disciples. And this church has various ways that we go about doing those three things. One of the ways is having a, an absolute admiration and valuing the words of Jesus. And that's what this series is all about. Now, I do want to give you a warning that Jesus's words today are going to be challenging for some of you to hear. They're going to be off-putting. They're going to be difficult for us to uphold in our day-to-day -day life. They may look powerful and easy on the forefront, but whenever we actually begin to apply them to our life, they are far more difficult. This morning, I want to talk to you about the exclusivity of Jesus, the exclusivity. When I mean, and when I say exclusivity, what I'm referring to is that there are not many paths that lead to eternity with the Father, but in fact, there is one path. There is one road. There is an exclusive road, and it is found in the person whose name is Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus. Now, the world doesn't like this message. Some of you in this room may be uncomfortable with this message, but I want to tell you by the end of today why Jesus being the only way and the narrow way to the Father is actually really good news for us as his believers. But first, let's go back to the text that Lisa read for us, Luke chapter 14, and we're going to reread these words. Now, I'm not going to put them on the screen this morning. I want to encourage you to click on your Bible, or if you do it old-fashioned, flip open your Bible uh, to Luke chapter 14. And while you're turning there, let me set the context of what, where these words are said. Just the chapter before, Jesus is in an upper room with his closest disciples, men and potentially even a couple of women who are there, his closest friends, the people who he is going to pass the baton over. And Jesus, in complete humility and sacrifice of status, bends down and washes his servant's feet. At some point in the meal, Jesus speaks up to somebody, kind of out in the open, and said, somebody in this room is going to betray me. They're going to actually hand me over into the devil's hands. He speaks more, uh, more direct towards Peter, who says, I, it won't be me. I, I will die for you. Jesus says, Peter, your initial reaction isn't going to be to die for me. It's going to be to deny me. In fact, you're going to do that three times before the sun even comes up and the rooster crows. 
And then just after those words, we move into Luke chapter 14. John, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, sorry. I have it written in here, John, or Luke 14, and I miswrote it in my, uh, in my notes. So, sorry, John chapter 14. Everybody was all confused, like I was reading a different Bible. John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas speaks up, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So my self-proclaimed Christian Buddhist friend and I, we met at 1420 Coffee House just here in downtown Vero. We were catching up on life, what was happening, and eventually the conversation turned theological. We started talking about God. Now, my friend confessed to me that he wasn't raised in any kind of local church. He didn't hear these stories growing up, but he had a deep fascination for this man named Jesus and some of his teachings. He had an equal fascination for another sage that was before Jesus, and his name was Buddha, which has an entire teaching after him. And I listened to what my friend had to say. I genuinely was interested. I asked questions along the way, and eventually the conversation turned to me about what I believed. And I told him I believed Jesus was the only way. I even quoted our verse here in John 14 that Jesus, you know, our verses this morning about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. So where was my failure? Where did I miss the mark? My failure was I had no conviction behind my belief in the exclusivity of Jesus. Now, here's what I mean when I use that word conviction, and I'm going to use it a couple times this morning. In my own words, conviction is a firmly held belief that not only shapes my actions, but shapes my very identity. So let me give you a practical example. I am an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Now, for those of you who do not know the NBA, outside of the Los Angeles Lakers, the Boston Celtics, and whatever team LeBron James is playing for that year, the Oklahoma City Thunder is a small market team, obviously placed in Oklahoma City, and I have been an Oklahoma fan, a Thunder fan, from its very origins. In fact, I actually have gone and went to the very first Thunder game we played as an organized team. My family had season tickets growing up, so I went to multiple games watching guys like this, which you may have no idea who these are, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, Tabo Cephalosha, Kendrick Perkins, and the likes, all come in as young superstars, be shaped and formed, and uh, because I'm an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, I have to do that. If you don't know why the guy on the right has a mustache, don't worry about it. It's just my duty 
as a Thunder fan. And if you want to know who on this team is still around, there's our roster now. They're all gone. <laughs> we are in a, what you call a rebuilding phase. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So um, I went to the very first Oklahoma City Thunder Finals game. I went to the only Oklahoma City Thunder Finals game that we won. They just so happened to be the same game. But I went. We went 1-4 in 2012 against Miami Heat and LeBron James. You know, causation doesn't equal correlation, but I went to the only team that we won in the finals. I may be the lucky charm, but I'm not going to hold that against anybody. Here's my point. I am through blue Thunder fan. The highs and the lows, if you agree with me, if you don't agree with me, I will talk to you about the Thunder. I will do my best to get everybody I know to say Thunder up on the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, that's a lot better than I thought it would be. I am convicted, I am passionate about a basketball team. And that conviction I have for my team was not present in my conversation about my Lord. Now here's what I don't mean when I talk about conviction. Now I just joked with you about the whole thunder up thing. But conviction is not pouring and pushing my beliefs on another person. Nor is conviction a standard that I'm holding other people to that I have placed on myself. We'll break that down as we walk through this. But for now, whenever I speak of conviction, I'm not talking about external expectations. I'm talking about an internal experience. You know, there's a leading principle that uh, God has put on my heart lately. People who want to do something will always find a way, and people who don't want to do something will always find an excuse. And I can find an excuse every time that I relive this conversation in my head. Well, you know, it just wasn't the right time to lean into my personal conviction. But do you want to know the honest truth that I finally came to after thinking on this conversation for months? As I was listening to my free thinker, this capturing and collecting ideas, shaping them and applying them to my life friend, the not wanting to be stapled down to a system friend, I was listening to him and I thought to myself, you know, that does actually sound kind of nice. Being able to find truth in various different belief systems, not being stapled down to a certain belief whenever the world is constantly changing around me not having to have confrontational conversations about a Jesus-only theology, being able to just go with the flow of life and whatever truth may come in my head that day. You know, the, the lies of the serpent, the devil, are very deceiving. When I relive this, I often think of the garden scene. No, you surely won't die if you eat the fruit. God wouldn't do that to you, would he? The truth is, there are Christians, maybe even in this very room, who are struggling with the weight of the exclusivity of Jesus, the Jesus-only theology. And if you're honest with yourself, you may find yourself up here with me saying, you know, maybe not all the time, but sometimes it is hard for me to hold on to it. If you've ever had the luxury of, of traveling 
to countries where Christianity isn't the default religion. You might experience this. I know I've had the blessing of traveling to many countries. I get off the plane, I'll interact, maybe not something exactly like this, but I'll see people of different beliefs, and I find myself thinking, how could God say that all of these people are wrong, and I just so happen to be right because where I was born? But more and more, Christianity culture, it's shrinking around us. It's no longer us who are able to travel. It's now in our very backyards. The walls are coming together in our offices, in our neighborhoods, even in our own households. Diversity of cultures and belief systems, they are now melting pots in our own backyards. And many of us, if we were honest, are struggling with this question, is Jesus really the only way? Do you feel unsettled yet? <laughs> if, if not, it's all right. Head on down to the bookstore, the best-selling section, see what people are reading these days, what your friends are reading. What you'll likely see is this new phenomenon, this new age of spirituality called inclusivism. You can see little hints of it in bumper stickers that say coexist on them. You may be familiar with that. Now, all of this is, can fall under one general category that we want to dissect this morning, and it is inclusivism. Think of include, inclusivism. And the reason I want to break down that ideology this morning is because, like biology, what happens, I remember whenever I went into biology class, and they had this, like, cute, like, critter on the table, and it said, okay, now you've got to, like, tear this thing apart and see what makes this thing work. And whenever I got inside of that critter, I realized this is a lot uglier than I, than I want to imagine this critter out in the world, right? And the same is true when we look at our belief systems, is that they look good on the outside, they look like love and acceptance and truth, but whenever you put them under the microscope and begin to dissect what it actually is you're believing, you realize it is nothing like you originally thought. And this ideology of inclusivism, it is at the core of what my self-proclaimed Christian Buddhist friend believed, and likely many of your co-workers and neighbors believe as well, even if they can't define it. So let's define it. Simple definition, inclusivism is the claim that nobody has a claim on truth. In fact, inclusivism says that all religions are true to some degree. They don't see the entirety of truth, but they have a measure of truth that points to some transient being that could or could not be there. So if you think of atheism as a disbelief of all religions, atheism's not our problem anymore. Now we have to start focusing on inclusivism, which is the belief that all religions are true, at least in part. Now I want to give you a fuller picture, just one more step down of what inclusivism looks like by giving you the very words of believers themselves. I'm going to give you two quotes from prominent thinkers or influencers in the world. And the reason I want to show you their words that came out of their own mouth, from their own brains, is because this is the same words that you are going to hear in the grocery, in public's checkout line from your cashier one day. It's the same words that you're going to hear from your Uber driver on your next vacation. It's the same words you're going to hear from your children who are going to be coming home from a conversation they had on the playground with another kid. 
So quote from Rabbi Shmole Botek. I am absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. Or from the great theologian, Oprah Winfrey. That was a joke. Okay. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. Now, I want to pause for just a moment right here. We have to reestablish ourselves whenever we get into conversations like this. These people, and people like them, people in our neighborhoods, kids that come off the playground, these people are not our enemy. They are not our enemy. We need to attack problems, not people. The devil is our enemy. Belief systems are our enemy. People are not your enemy. Because what the devil will try to do is he will try to get you to paint a target on the person sitting in front of you's back. Because if you can focus on them, you no longer see him. People are not our problem. They are not our enemy. We have to stop making people our enemy and instead cut to the real problem. And one of the problems is this rampant idea of inclusivism. And what I want to do this morning is we're not here to mock it, nor are we here to build a straw man argument that we can tear down this morning and then feel better about ourselves when we walk out of here. Those serve no purpose here. This is real life. These are real questions. How do we, who have given our life to Jesus, how do we respond? What is Jesus's theology of his exclusive nature? What is it actually? What does he believe? How can we have a meaningful, impactful conversation with people who are more inclusive than we are? So I think one of the first steps is recognizing that acceptance is not agreement. Acceptance does not mean agreement. So my failure and my conviction with my friend at coffee that day was that I failed to recognize that I could accept his beliefs but not agree with them. And all of it came from a place of good intentions. And I'm sure these conversations and relationships that you have come from good intentions as well, right? We live in a diverse culture, different backgrounds, different belief systems, our neighbors, our coworkers, our bosses, the people that we lead, and we want to have good relationships with them, don't we? We want to live at peace with the people around us. In fact, that's what it means to be like Jesus, is we live at peace with people who are nothing like us. The problem is, is that we misinterpret that peace with them as agreement with all of their beliefs. We as Christians, we are going to have to be in dialogue with people from different belief systems. And what I failed to recognize that day was my, agree my acceptance of my friend didn't mean I agreed with him. My acceptance of who he was did not mean I agreed with what he believed. Meaning I could have a strong conviction for the exclusivity of Jesus and still maintain a healthy relationship with him. It reminds me, every time I think of this, it reminds me of those house-divided pictures you see on social media every once in a while. You have like a husband and wife who went to different colleges, 
and then their teams are playing football against each other, and they have those like classic pictures of the game on behind them, and like she's wearing orange, he's wearing maroon, they're like scowling at each other, and it's like, oh, we live in a house divided. But you see the point, that their love is going to supersede the disagreements that they might have. Accepting people in our life who embody different cultures, different races, different beliefs, different worldviews, that's actually what it means to be like Jesus. I mean, just consider our text, John chapter 14, and, that, and what we established was happening just before Jesus said he was the only way. Jesus is in an upper room, and he's washing the feet with men and potentially women, but we know for sure men who were nothing like him and who were nothing like each other. These are guys who came from different occupations. They had different social statuses. They had a different understanding of how God was going to roll out his kingdom, and yet they are all in the same room having their feet washed by the same Savior. In fact, this is the reality of Jesus' entire ministry. Jesus seemed to interact most intimately with the people who were nothing like him, a colony of lepers that nobody wanted to be around, a, a culture and an ethnicity of Samaritans, a whole city of Samaritans that would spit on Jews when they passed on the road, with Roman officials who would eventually kill him, and we think, you know, this is all well and good when we read it about Jesus. It makes sense for us, but it gets really messy whenever we carry it, carry it into our own life. Do a little exercise with me. I want you to imagine in your head the people that run in your circles, the people that you spend the most of your time with. These are people that you call whenever you get angry at something that happened in the world, whenever something exciting happens in your life. They're the people that you go to. Picture them in your head. Do they look, believe, and live nearly identical lives that you do? The likelihood is, for the majority of us, yes. This is what social science calls consensual validation. It simply means that we feel most comfortable and safest with people who are just like us problem is we weren't called to be comfortable. We were called to be like Jesus. So as we continue to blend our lives with people who are not like us, people who don't hold the same values that we do, if that's on gun control or if that's on sexuality, if that's on our view of who Jesus was or whichever side of the Roe versus Way debate that you might fall, these people who are different than us, they should not be considered other to us. They should be accepted. They are different. And my acceptance of them into my life doesn't mean I agree with everything they believe. I can accept my self-proclaimed Christian Buddhist friend into my life. Just like I can accept my self-proclaimed atheist friend. Just like I can accept my Christian friend who's actually on the other side of the Roe versus Wade debate and is grieving the outcome right now. And I can be friends and accept all of these people because they are good men, and because I want a moment in their life to be a witness of the Lord that I love to them. 
but how will I be a witness to them if I don't first know them? If I don't have a seat at their table? If I don't know their greatest motivations, their most penetrating fears, how will I know if I don't accept them into my life? And these friends of mine, they struggle with the words of Jesus this morning, the words that we read. Let's read them again in John chapter 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, period. Period. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. How can Christianity be so closed-minded? That was the first thought that came to my head whenever I quoted those verses those verses to my buddy at coffee that day. But the thing is, I didn't realize, and it took me months of meditating on that conversation afterwards to realize that the, ex- the exclusivity problem is not a Christian problem. Right? The world has painted exclusivity as a Christian problem, but it's not. This is true for Islam, Buddhism, atheism, and basically any other worldview. We all share this in common. In fact, here's what's most ironic. There's a new Christian, or a a new civic religion. It's a new craze when it comes to worldviews. It's called Western nicety. Western nicety. And we've already basically defined it here. It's this idea that everybody's views are true and right as long as we avoid conflict and nobody gets hurt in the process. And what's most ironic about Christian nicety is the people who are most vocal about it are also the people who are most vocal about the narrow-minded judgmentalism of Christianity. And this Western nicety, it actually ends up being exclusive in who they claim to be exclusivists. So they have their belief system. We believe that all religions, at least in some part, are true. And if you do not believe that, then you are excluded from our belief. There is no truth in a world where everybody can claim their own truth. There's a classical example of this that I want to break down with you, that inclusivism uh, inclusivists have used for years and years to point out this idea that there are many beliefs that point to God. The illustration goes like this. Imagine you have three blind men that are walking down the road, and they come upon an elephant. Now, the first blind man grabs onto the elephant's trunk and is startled and jumps back and says, we stumbled on a snake. The second blind man walks up and grabs the elephant by one of the legs. And he says, this is too strong and sturdy to be a snake. This is obviously a tree and we've stumbled into a forest. And finally, the the third blind man comes and grabs the elephant by the ear and says, this is too flat and dry to be a snake or a tree. You fools, this is just a piece of paper. Let's keep walking along. And the assertion is that these three men have a small glimpse of the truth, but do not have a comprehensive understanding of reality. They see truth in a small bit, but we can see that they are mistaking what is actually true. And inclusivism says the same thing, that we as a culture, we do our best 
We make our way. We are blind as we try to navigate the same thing. We just interpret it different ways. It's a powerful illustration, is it not? But it has a rudimentary fallacy. Here it is. By claiming there is no such thing as comprehensive vision of truth, a person is claiming to have a comprehensive understanding of truth. Just use this illustration. For example, we, me as a narrator or you as an audience, you can look and see that they are in fact touching an elephant. We can see that these men are all blind in their view of reality, but we, we can see what is actually true. So even inclusivism says there is in fact truth to be found. So the real question we should be asking ourselves is what then is truth? Which just so happens to be the question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus at his trial. And Jesus gives the key. Whenever you can find it, it will set you free. Christianity asserts that we have in fact found it. That he is the truth. He is the only way to the Father. And it's that confession that stands at the cornerstone of everything that Christianity stands behind. It is the fuel that drives the mission of the church. And as we as Christians, we respond to the needs of the world with love and grace because we believe that if people want access to eternity with the Father, that they need to be introduced to the love of Jesus. That's conviction. That is a conviction that drives everything that we do, not just our actions, but our very identity. I didn't look across the table at my friend in that coffee shop and say, you need Jesus if you want to know God. I just assumed he would find it some way, somewhere along the way. Inclusivism pushes back against the claim of Jesus, the claims of the apostles by arguing there is no truth. And in so doing, they actually cut off the tree that they are sitting because by claiming there is no absolute truth is in fact an absolute truth statement. <laughs> How can the world on one hand say there is no absolute truth and on the other hand say that everybody has a truth? They just need to find it themselves. Choosing to believe in nothing is itself a belief in something. So you just need to decide what do you believe. We all have a belief. Christian, Christians, and atheisms, inclusivists, we all have a belief. The question is, what do you believe? And if you, are, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then you have claimed to proudly stand behind this claim of exclusivity. And that's not a stance of hatred. That's not a stance of disregard. It's a stance of conviction that not only shapes our actions, but shapes our identity. And we will be good listeners our service and love towards people, especially people who are nothing like us, it's not going to be tainted. But we will stand proudly behind Jesus and Jesus alone. And here's why that's good news. In one sentence, why that's good news. Because that means that you can stop searching for purpose and meaning and fulfillment that this world tempts you with, but doesn't actually give you. If you are here this morning and you're hearing about Jesus for the first time this way, you have found it. You have found truth. You have found all that you need for 
purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And in an exclusivist spirit, we recognize that the love, we recognize in love that the very narrow way of the cross is actually good news. Because this is something that is worth dying for and something worth living for. If there is only one way to the Father, then I'm going to do everything in my power to protect that way and proclaim that way and stop pretending otherwise. I can be narrow-focused on what is actually important. And if you're here this morning, and you claim to be, or you're here this morning, and you are not a Christian, and there might be some people in here who claim to be a Christian, who would even say you are a Christian, but just claiming something does not make it true. You can be the owner of a business and be a terrible leader. You can say you're a good dad, but it not actually line up with reality. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand on this, you believe you're a Christian, but you're not sure anymore, you believe scientifically, evidentially, you're all in, but you haven't taken the leap because you're afraid. You might be a coward like I was a coward in the 1420 coffee house. You don't want your friends to make fun of you. You don't want your co-workers to think different of you. You don't know what your family's going to think in the end. You're afraid that you follow Jesus where he's actually leading you to go. It might mean things that you don't actually want. Your heart is beating in your chest because whenever you think about the scandal of Jesus, you think, my family will mock me. My spouse will criticize me. My friends will leave me. I don't like what that's going to do to my sex life. I don't like what that's going to do to my money, and it's cowardice. Exclusivity calls out courage in all of us. Will you follow me and only me, Jesus asks. Or will you continue with Western nicety? Has the gospel of Jesus been boiled down to just another belief system that anybody else can make up? And if you're listening to my voice right now, you're not sure where you stand on the scale of exclusivity, but you know you're not where you're supposed to be, I have a very simple next step for you. Stop pretending, start proclaiming. Stop pretending, start proclaiming. This isn't a fake it till you make it kind of endeavor. (laughs) Like if you give your life to Jesus, he is going to call you out of the boat into the middle of the storm and tell you he has to be your anchor. You can't go back to that boat. It's either Jesus, I'm all in, or Jesus, I'm all out. Because when the storms, if you can't pretend to be a Christian when the storms of persecution and fear and doubt come knocking on your door. Are you all in? And if you are all in, there are some things that you probably need to do that we all need to do. First one is this. Maybe yours is to confess your sins, your brokenness, your failures. Darian and I, we had a group of about 15 young adults in our house uh, this past Tuesday. We were talking about different things about Jesus, and the conversation got to this idea of there's those who are in the circle and then us who feel outside of the circle. Does anybody feel outside of the circle? Some of the young adults said, yeah, you know, being, being Christian, I often feel outside the circle. One young adult, she spoke up. She said, I want to just be honest for a second. Whenever I come here in this group, I feel outside the circle. We all leaned in. She said, it, it just feels like all of you have your life put together. 
Like you don't struggle in your faith like I feel like I'm struggling in mine. She said, it's, it's hard for me just to even pick up a Bible to have a consistent prayer. Now all I see is perfection when I see you guys. I told her that that is a symptom of something that we have gotten wrong in here. We have turned confession into something that happens behind closed doors. That's a, that's a thing between me and God because we're scared of what other people might think if they knew we were just as broken as they were. And I imagine it's similar in here, that many of you feel a lot worse about yourself because you look around this room and you wonder, man, everybody seems to have it and I don't. Are we confessing? So to remind you that you're not alone, I'll start. I'll be the leader on it. I, Peyton, I am a sinner. I struggle with self-doubt and I struggle with anger. I am made in the image of God but I am a shattered version of what I was designed to be. I need God as my anchor. I need Jesus to keep my life together. Maybe for you, you've recognized your sinful nature, but you haven't actually given your life to Jesus. You say you're a Christian, you go through the motions, but days turn into weeks, turn into months. You keep putting the decision off to actually give your life to him. You know why I love baptism? I love baptism. We have our baptistry right behind this wall. Anytime somebody wants to be baptized, it's here in a pool in a park. And I always tell people, you got to have people with you. You got to have witnesses. Because baptism is not just a, a decision you make for yourself. It's a decision that we are making together, that you are proclaiming. It is something that benefits all of us. Uh, I don't know if y'all know, Blake and Gina just got married yesterday. Blake and Gina, congratulations. Uh, right here in our church building. Right? And when Blake and Gina got up there with Tracy and made vows together, what they were vowing is we are no longer depending on our feelings. Because there's moments, um, warning, there's going to be moments when you don't feel like it anymore. It's going to be tough. But you have decided you're, not lo you're no longer dependent on your feelings. You're dependent on your commitment that you've made together. And you are not just holding yourself responsible to that, but the witnesses that are with you. Baptism is the same way. You are publicly declaring, I am my no more, and I can't just walk away from this thing. I'm holding myself accountable. Did you know you could be clothed with Christ today? That you could have the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead. You could have that spirit inside of you, animating you and giving you everlasting water. When you are baptized, you are buried like Christ was buried, and you are resurrected with new life just like he was, with the same power, a new life that you so desperately seek. And then maybe you have given your life to Jesus. Some of you in this room have been followers of Jesus longer than I've been alive. And I look at you and I applaud you. I really do. But if I know anything about things we've done for a long time, is they just become monotony. We grow lax in our faith, in our dependence on him. Are you just going through the motions, just trying to get to the end of life, but not actually giving out to the people around you? We have a next step for you. Our growth track, which is our new initiative to learn more about us and to learn more about your design and how God can use your gifts to join Team 210, which is based off of Ephesians 2.10, that we have been made with these good gifts, good things that God has given us so that we can love and impact his world. 
but we can't take next steps for you. You have to take them. People will know, though, what you believe by what you do. And you will know what to do based off of what you believe. So what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father? That eternity is found in Jesus alone. That all truth and purpose and meaning can be found in him. And if you believe that, what is the time for you to do? Let's pray about that. Father God, we, I pray that we are coming to you right now with our hearts open being truly honest with ourself and with you, God, that we do not have it all figured out. God, that we are desperately seeking you. And whatever that next step is for the people in this room listening, people listening to this later, the audio version, I don't know what that next step is, God, but you do. You put it on our hearts. We're thinking about it right now. It's running through our head of the decision that we need to make to actually begin taking this thing seriously. God, and it all falls back on this verse that you said to the disciples in that upper room, the thing that would turn them into initial disbelievers to sacrificial devotion. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Father, we want to believe that about Jesus. Give us that type of faith this morning. Help us recognize why it is good news and why we can stop searching in this world for something greater that if we would just give you our full devotion, God, you'll give us everything that we need. God, may we find truth and life in you this morning. And may we be willing to take that next step, whatever it might be, for whoever it might, is, might be. Give us the strength found in your spirit. We give it all to you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen.